welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, by my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We are recording this on a Thursday, because I will be gone on the weekend to Retro World Expo. And if you're listening to this, you missed me. Ha ha ha. Sorry. Where's Retro World Expo? You're such a traveler. Connecticut, Hartford. Um, the only reason I know Hartford is because of... Uh, at the end of Stephen King's The Mist, the book, they traveled to Hartford. Uh, the movie ended very differently, but the book ended very, um, very kind of uh, ambiguously with them going to Hartford. But uh, yeah, that, it was quite different tonal, tonal wise. I once rode a train through Connecticut and saw a lot of rusted out cars. Uh, that was my main impression of your lovely state, uh, Connecticut's. That's um, all we that's- needed to see. Yeah. Too yeah. bad. I I think I've seen that. Thinking about it, like when I've, when I've ridden the train, uh, just rusted out cars at some point. I might have been going through Connecticut. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a thing in the Northeast, I guess. But uh, my other impression of Connecticut is uh, basketball, I guess, and suburbs. Maybe, but also I heard recently somebody told me that um, Connecticut secretly has better pizza than New Jersey, which oh secretly has better pizza than new york so that whole area is just i don't know i've had new york pizza it's not my favorite i'm sorry to say i love new york i'm not here to attack new york but i'm just not a fan of new york pizza it's fine i'm really not a fan new york pizza is overrated because you will go and get a slice and half the time it's from some tourist trap that that doesn't actually make any good pizza yes there's amazing pizza in new york no doubt. Just amazing pizza everywhere. Um, but per capita, I'm betting that there's better new pizza in New Jersey than there is in New York. I will say that if you're in Toronto, like uh, I went to New York and I went to the hot dog cart and I'm like, oh boy, hot dog carts. And it's just, I did not like the hot dogs there. If you go to Toronto for a long time, Toronto was only allowed to serve hot dogs on the streets. So they really perfected the hot dog over there. So if you're ever in Toronto, eat a hot dog from a, from a cart. It's really, really good. Uh, it's better than what I got in New York, which was just like a boiled hot dog and a plain bun. I was like, this is just a disgrace. I'm sorry. I like New York. Uh, except for those mascots in Times Square, I swear to God, I'm going to get jumped by them one of these days. I, I, I don't fear anything in New York. I feel safe enough there. But when you are swarmed by 10 Elmos, shaking you down <laughs> for 10 bucks, I've, that's the only time I've heard for my life in that city. I'm not even joking. Those guys mean business. Those frustrated noises that you are hearing, by the way, are from Eric Van Allen, who is also joining us. What are these takes we're starting the podcast with? New Look, York I live in, pizza? I live over, in California. What? I fully acknowledge that in California, we don't have good pizza. So whatever. I like that scene from it is the, Out. It is the most California, California thing to be like, oh, well, other states food is really not that good. Because the last time I, mean, I had a Californian down here in Texas, they're like, Oh, California tacos are much better. And I mean, they are. Not. Come they're on. Not. No, I have no. Really I have not. no opinion on California tacos. Mexican versus Tex-Mex is. No, we're like, talking specifically. It's like the pizza. The it's like the de- pizza debate between Chicago and New York. Equally insufferable. I tell you. Equally insufferable. I don't think I've ever had a Chicago deep dish. I mean, to try it someday. It's Look, good. I like New York Look, pizza. Pizza's, it's fine. pizza's good. Like pizza I, is emphatically across the board a good food item. They did not mess sure. up, and it's hard to mess it up. It is hard. You to know mess who up low pizza. key has good pizza? Minnesota. I'm I'm just gonna say that uh, Pizza Luce 
and lots of other places in Minnesota. Amazing chains, great beer. I like Minnesota pizza. I was going to say, I'm sure it's got good pizza, but you're going to have to pry me away from anywhere where I can find cheese curds. And that's because that's where I'm going to be every time I go up north. The Minnesota State Fair is happening right now, don't you know? And unfortunately, (laughs) I'm not able to go because that's over there in Minnesota. I haven't been since like college, but I would love to go to the Minnesota State Fair and get some cheese curds and Oh. Uh, some uh, uh, fried some... Oreos, fried yeah. Twinkies. Toronto's yeah. having a Canadian national cream. exhibition right now, and there's half of all the uh, all the food that comes with that. There was one year they did the there's a whole maple bacon thing, a big fad food mm. that was going on, and there was a huge outbreak of some disease. Was it listeria? I can't remember what, but nowadays you will never hear the combination bacon and maple ever again in Toronto because it went so <laughs> badly the first time. Stefan Diggs, former Minnesota Vikings um, uh, wide receiver, made uh, made state news, like made news in Minnesota because he tweeted, no lie, Minnesota has the best fair in the world, lol, no debate. Stefan Diggs, you're right. And he must have gotten though, dragged. Even though you now play for the Buffalo Bills, like you are in our good books forever. Minneapolis actually- Miracle and saying nice things about the state fair. That's all you need to know. Okay. I actually, right. someone actually, sorry, quickly, someone drove by today with, with a Bills flag on their car. I just had to say that. <laughs> Thank you, Nadia. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> well, we're not going to be talking about football and food too much more on this podcast. I'm sure we'll get to it at another time. But actually, we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about Sony this week. Specifically, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, them raising their prices on the PS5 and also Gamescom. And we're going to be asking, where are all of the Sony first-party RPGs? Should they be making them? Have they fallen behind Nintendo and Xbox? Let's decide. Uh, Before we get to that, though, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Please go ahead and leave us a review on the podcast of your choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you want to do it. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at Simosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I, or M-O-O-S-I, the state fair tradition. It's been a while. <laughs> been a while. Um, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where your generous support keeps the podcast going for just $1. You can sign up, you can get access to ad-free versions of our podcast. Also, you can join us over on our Discord, where we do lots of stuff. Just recently, we did a Char's Counterattack Watch, which will be going live to all of our patrons very soon as a commentary track. And we had a great time with that. We'll be talking about that in the summer of Gundam. Nadia, you also did the Charlene Dropouts podcast just recently. Yes, we did. We had Eric on to talk about Endwalker because he walked to the end. And we uh, it's a very, very kind of spoiler-laden cast, but we had a great time because it was a very emotional uh, extension. So I'm glad we finally got to get everything off our chests and talk about that. It was also interesting to look back at the extension mm. after it's been like uh, several months since it came out. And yeah, I still love it. So uh, we had we had fun. You should listen to the episode. Mm-hmm. Always listen to it. Uh, we're also coming to the end of the month. We're still in the middle of our monthly game club for Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, which will culminate in our Pantheon of the Blood God episode. And actually, it's about time for us to spin up another vote. I would say. So look for that next week. And we are coming up on Autumn of Avatar, which is going to be 
a real blast. Eric just like looked up and started grinning. Like he, he's I, excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. Again, like I've already watched the first week's worth of episodes. And if you want kind of a segmented watching guide, uh, because it's like one season or one series, I should say, uh, three seasons, uh, we're going to be having an actual watch guide so you can get through Avatar The Last Airbender uh, and, and we'll be talking about it each week as we go. Uh, so if you want that, you can head over to the Discord and there is a watch guide in the Autumn of Avatar uh, channel. I've pinned it there. Uh, first set of episodes uh, up through the one with the imprisoned Earthbenders. Uh, all bangers. All solid. I, I loved going back to them. I can't wait to talk about some of these episodes when we get into the uh, Autumn of the Avatar. We also have our live recordings with our Stars of Destiny. And this week we're joined by Akayos, who asks, are the Vikings going to even be relevant this season? Akayos, they are going to go nine and eight, make the wild card round of the playoffs and lose. <laughs> that is what they are going to do and give us false hope. And we're going to be stuck with freaking Kirk Cousins for another year. I hate that man. Sounds also like joined... <laughs> We're also joined by Amy, Drew, RWX, Mango Alts, Ruka, and Sardin today. Thanks for joining us on such short notice. And as always, we appreciate your support. And hey, our Stars of Destiny also get access to our post show. And boy, oh boy, was last week's post show quite Ooh. wild. It <laughs> was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. We talked about streaming. We talked about furries. God, we talked about a lot of things. All over the place, across the board. If you want to get the unhinged energy and bonus Nadia pits that are the post show, you should join us. They seem to happen by accident, so don't count on anything. (laughs) And uh, on that note, I think last week we did get quite rowdy on this podcast. Um, Maybe we let ourselves, uh, we cursed a lot more than we normally do and that kind of thing. And I just want to say that that's not the normal energy of the podcast, and we're going to try and rein it in at least a little bit. Um, We're definitely going to try and make this as family friendly as possible. So I just want to say that we we heard the feedback and uh, yeah, loud and clear. So that's uh, pretty much all we got to say about that. But now it's time to talk about what we have been playing. What are our sacrifices to the blood god? And I see a lot of Final Fantasy 14 on here. So I'm just gonna sit back, relax, maybe uh, crack open a cold one and let you two talk about it for a while. I mean, there's nothing really I can talk about that's not spoilery. So uh, uh, I, uh, other than the, I was gonna say other than the Island Sanctuary, yeah, which I haven't yeah. tooled around as much with. So Eric, you can tell us all about that. Yeah. So for context, for those who don't play uh, this week was Final Fantasy 14 patch or update 6.2. The way that Final Fantasy updates work is there's usually about five of them in between each expansion and the main number ones. So like 6.1, 6.2 and then forthcoming 6.3, 6.4, 6.5 are all uh, usually pretty meaty. Uh, They'll have uh, main story quests associated with them. They'll have uh, different levels of the raid for that particular expansion being added uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And a big addition uh, for this patch outside of the normal additions like raid content and MSQ content is something called the Island Sanctuary, which is kind of like Final Fantasy 14 trying to do Stardew Valley. Uh, The idea is that 
after the events of Endwalker, and you do have to have beaten Endwalker to access this content, which is weird because it's not level gated. I think they just did that so you can head over there even if you're on like your level one crafter or whatever. Yeah, you won't get so. like you know blocked by anything. Uh, a lot a lot has happened by that point, and your your best pal Tataru says, "You know what? We're gonna get you an island, and you're gonna <laughs> escape to this island." Which is a great Only- reward by the yeah. way at first it sounds like a vacation and then you find out that Tataru has basically set up uh without going too far into spoilers uh machines and other things here that will let you turn this island into a heaven for production and capitalism if you so desire uh so the basic thrust of it is that this is not a combat area whatsoever. There is no fighting anything on this island. Uh, you have a kind of sanctuary that you are building up. Uh, it's called Island Sanctuary. Uh, and you venture out into the wilds to go gather resources. So, you know, logs, branches, uh, food stuff, uh, different uh, stone, sand, that sort of thing. You gather it all up, you bring it back. And you can spend that on upgrading things back at your base. So you can develop different buildings that are like, uh, here's kind of your hub building. Here are some workshops where you can start exporting goods that they create so you can feed uh, herbs and sand into it to get a potion out. And that will export off the island and then you'll get currency from people you know, buying that on the mainland, theoretically. Uh, it's not a direct player to player thing. Uh, there are ways you can do player to player stuff in there, but I haven't really fiddled around with them at all. Uh, most of the stuff I've done so far has been building up these workshops and expedition houses, which automatically gather resources for you. And uh, it is so soothing to the part of my brain that Death Stranding accessed in 2019. Was it 2019 was Death Stranding or 2020? Um, uh, it was around that. It was around was the time it, the plague broke out. So yeah, <laughs> still like yeah. a very beginning of 2020, um, 2019. It, it has that same sort of pull where you are just kind of running around and picking up a bunch of resources and then turning them into goods and then scheduling out. You can make a schedule for your workshop. So every day it'll take a certain number of hours to create goods. Those get exported and come back as calories. Calories are what you spend to do expeditions. They're also what you can spend on special cosmetics that are only accessible through the Island sanctuary. Uh, and you slowly build up. It's, it's kind of like you build up outer heaven or like, I don't know uh, what was the Swiss family Robinson. Is that the one I'm thinking of where they build that crazy, uh, fort on the island when they get stranded um it's kind of like that it's got that vibe but it's really i think it's been a really nice cool down for me because a lot of the other content i've been playing in 14 has been very uh raid heavy very like high level duties high level dungeons where you're kind of doing a lot of stuff and having to like memorize things i've been learning a class so i've been trying to figure out how to alter my play style to be a better healer and this, I just kind of go around and I put on a podcast or a video essay or something and I pick up rocks off the ground and I turn them into stuff that I can export and get little points for and eventually build more buildings. And if you like Satisfactory, you will like this. If you like Stardew Valley, you will probably like this. And uh, I think the only weird part for me is that it is gated by Endwalker, which feels very strange to me. Uh, I understand story reason why yeah. they do it, 
but is a very, very loose story reason that I feel they could have like written around a little bit. Uh, I kind of wish that they had found a way to make this accessible to all players, even like free trial, because I feel like this is just a cool thing that people might want to hop on. And it might be the thing that breaks open the dam and gets them to play Final Fantasy 14 proper. But either way, it's a really cool thing. I like it a lot. Uh, I've been losing myself in the spreadsheets and rare animal hunting and stuff like that. It's great. I love it. The reason I want to like I haven't had time to tool around with it yet, but I will soon. Um, I want to finally have a place to dump all my extra minions and mounts and stuff like that. Yes, I have, I yeah. have so many minions traveling around. And apparently the minions say things if you, if you they put them do. there. So, so like Estinian's like, oh boy, dried squid or something like that. Yeah, and Thancred says this is Thancred, uh, which is very good. That's pretty uh, funny. <laughs> um, the, the whole idea behind that is that minions are these little like kind of chibi characters that you can get in dungeons that you can have like one follow you around everywhere if you just want to have a little... Example. Yeah, see, I don't use them because as I've said on the podcast before, I don't like chibi stuff. Uh, so I haven't really let them loose on the island yet because that's part of the appeal of the island is that you can make your minions wander around and they'll kind of hang out and do stuff. But I did just get the pod minions from the near raid content and I might let those loose oh. on my island and just have them hanging out because I do love the pods. The pods are really cool. I love the pod mount. You see people just kind of hold up like yeah, they just, just kind of like hovering around off. like a near. That's great. Yeah, I yeah. want that. I want that so bad. But yeah, um. I'm thinking that maybe in time it will not be level gated anymore or expansion gated. Um, maybe they'll bring it down to a more accessible level, even with the, as you say, it's a really good promo for like the free content. Even it could just be, they want to make sure everything doesn't break under the people who have yeah. done Endwalker. It's also like, it's going to grow. I think they've said that every other patch it's going to get new content. So kind of like how other expansions have had special areas and stuff like that you know yeah. uh, i think it was uh baggio was in Shadowbringers, and like another expansion had eureka and stuff like that this feels like the alternate area for special stuff mm -hmm. for this expansion only it's not combat focused like the other ones are and i really Which is nice. that. i, Which I, is really I think nice. it's a recognition of the fact that there are a lot of people who want to do things in 14 that aren't just high level rating or like complex mechanics uh, and I know that there are some people out there that love that stuff. Uh, Mike and, and Victor were definitely trying to sell me on Baja <laughs> on, yeah. on dropouts. But I really like having just a chill little area where I can go and, and put on, you know, a video or, or a podcast or something and just kind of do some farming. It's it's going to tide me over until uh, November when Harvest Stella comes out and that just eats oh. my entire life. Yeah, I can't wait for that for sure. Yes, I'm very excited for Harvestella as well. <laughs> <laughs> that gameplay they showed today looked really good. It looked like everything I yeah. want out of a new Rune Factory type game that Rune Factory 5 did not give. <laughs> so, for Yeah, sure. it looks fine. I, I liked the unicorn. Uh, mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. teaching me magic and that kind of thing. Um, I think it fits really well into a particular aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. I... Does not super excite me personally, but I do like that there's a season that you have to like fight. It's like death season or something like that. I like that's, that's what cool. I like about it. That's a really cool addition. Yeah, um, I have been getting more serious about Sunbreak recently. Um, we've been though it's quite annoying because I'm at the part of the game where I will farm a whole bunch and then I will need one thing 
to be able to get the armor required to, you know, whatever, like a Nargakuga mantle or something. Mm. So uh, I, I can get the one piece of armor and then I'll fight that monster like a half dozen times and it just will not drop because there's like a 2% or 3% chance of it actually happening. And it gets real old, y'all. And <laughs> if I Dang liked... If I liked one thing about Iceborne was that you could just meld stuff that was super hard to find if you kind of knew what you were doing. And that would take the edge off finding these really, really rare drops. But you can't do that in Sunbreak for some reason. That sucks. Yeah. And uh, it's not I even have... like... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Nadia. Oh, I was going to say, I think Nargakuga is like the most perfect monster ever created. It's just perfect. It's just mm. Panther mm -hmm. Dragon thing. It's like great a wyvern, right? It's like a wyvern that's also a panther. Yeah. Like I love, I love okay. generally makes like, great noises. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. So yeah, if you haven't seen an Argakuga, it's what Nadia was kind of describing. Um, it's like panther wyvern. Uh, it'll get really pissed off and its eyes will go red and it will yes. jump around like crazy. Uh, it will swing its tail really hard and sometimes it will do a double hit and it can. Uh, that can be pretty tough. It'll shoot poisoned barbs at you, yeah. uh, which can be difficult to avoid. Great music, just fun to fight in general. Like I really enjoy that. There's also monster. they're really great in uh, stories too. One of my mm -hmm. favorite mm -hmm. monsters in the game. Like they did the poison barb move, which always looks cool. Like just you can't go wrong shooting poison barbs out of a tail. You just can't. I'm up to master rank four at this moment. Uh, fighting a lot of the monsters that I've kind of gotten used to that there was, there's a, a few new ones. Um, I, there's a new one that I fought. I, it's name starts with an L the names always kind of escape me. It's kind of a, um, it's like a dog, but, uh, an angry giant pup. Larry. And it does a nar it's like a Nargakuga. If it were a dog is what I would kind of describe it as. <laughs> and you have a cat. I may as well have a dog. And its element is ice, and it does the the tail thing as well. A lot of frontal attacks on this one. Um, it was not hard to beat at all, and it fits with the kind of this the Monster Hunter Rise theme of it turns into like a werewolf, kind of. So I was making oh, werewolf cool. jokes, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll stand up on its hind legs and be like have its arms out like rah. It's and so, kind of freaky. Yeah, uh, we were able to beat on our first try, so it was not hard. But it was funny because my group, who have all been playing Monster Hunter for longer than me, were all like commenting favorably. They were like going, oh, it's standing on its legs. Excellent. It has another form. I quite like that. And I'm like, I let, you're like monster connoisseurs or something like that. When you say dog, dog standing on his hard hind legs, I immediately think Rory Calhoun. <laughs> I think of Homer, I think. That's that's oh. what I was saying. Is that, yeah. the, is that the Homer standing joke? On two legs. Yeah. Like a regular Rory Calhoun. <laughs> yeah so um yeah i <clears throat> sunbreak is more monster hunter but very enjoyable more monster hunter um it doesn't add as much as iceborne did but iceborne also low-key broke the game so mm. the the nice thing about monster hunter rise is that you can climb up walls now without yeah. any oh, problem yeah yeah so much easier to get around the map big big ad i hope that the next game, I want the next game to keep Palamutes, oh, but I yes. want it to dramatically uh, nerf or even remove the um, 
the the monster riding monster attack thing. I never used that much. Uh, it was kind of messy. I use it every battle because it's very good. Um, but I like the turf wars more because they're more visually impressive. Whereas the monster riding is kind of eh. And you're right. Messy is a, a good word. Are there no it. turf wars in Rise? I no, thought there, there were are. turf wars. Okay. There are. Not as they're many, just, probably. Just not as many. Yeah. As before. Switch. And you don't ride or you don't you don't mount the monsters as much in Monster Hunter Rise. So you I, I kind of liked how in Iceborne I did like the clutch claw. It was overpowered, but I wouldn't mind if it came back because it was actually pretty fun to use. Mm, and mm. It, with some modifications and i enjoyed jumping on the monster's back and like stabbing it multiple times you don't really do that in monster hunter rise so yeah okay. yeah for sure yeah so uh enjoyable look forward to getting to the end game i'm fully into the grind that's my final fantasy 14 we're, um, we're all farming in some way or another is what i'm farming. hearing right now yeah, yeah for sure uh so, although I am playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3 as well. So it's oh, not as so much good. farming, but you, I haven't you done do like any gravel. farming in that game. <laughs> you just kind of grab the stuff on the floor as you go and you're like, let's turn this into gems. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I like that feedback a lot, that, that, that gameplay loop, because there's, there's so much garbage to collect all over the ground, but there's always something to do with it. So that's okay with me. And uh, yeah, I'm playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3 again. It's on chapter five. It's really great so far. Uh, babies were made. People learn making babies. <laughs> we learned about making babies. I will say that the end of chapter five is what solidified that game for me as like, this is absolutely in the top three of my end of year. No, no doubt. Like there is no question. I can't picture two more games coming out that are better than this. The end of chapter five is incredible. Set aside time, put some time apart, Nadia. Make, make an evening of it. <laughs> Several cutscenes will we'll play in play. sequence. <laughs> we recommend setting aside time for them. But I just uh, unlocked. The, I just unlocked the latest system in Xenoblade oh, Chronicles Three. You got the Ouroboros orders, right? So your oh, treasure yeah. packs so are that much fun. sweeter. Yeah. Oh, the, that uh, when I first did that, I said this is a mess. I have no idea what I'm doing, but at least the enemy died. Now that I know what I'm doing with them, it's ridiculous. It's so good. It's, it's just like. Nothing's better than you're ha you're fighting a battle, you're getting your ass kicked, and you're just waiting. Mm -hmm. Like it's ticking up and up. And you're like mashing the start button, and then you finally get it. Like yeah, and then you can do this completely insane attack where you can heal your party members and just like overkill the enemy. And there's a like, guy mm -hmm. surfing on his sword. It's just just absolutely <laughs> bonkers. It, it's fantastic. I love what they did with the chain system here. I uh, I figured out pretty early on after I got Ouroboros orders that. When you're fighting the blue enemies, you get bonus stuff, right? Yeah. And then when you do a chain attack, if you overkill with it, you can more. add more XP on. So I would wait until those blue enemies were down to like just a sliver. And then I'd chain attack and I put on... That was the first time I hit like over a million damage in a single chain attack. And I was hitting like plus a thousand percent xp i am now like 12 levels over where i'm supposed to be in the main quest and i don't care it rules it owns uh i love i love that this game lets you break it if you are yeah if you put that thought into it if you figure out its systems it lets you break those systems that is the hallmark of a good rpg for me and but they, they do I, have a buffer I love though it. 
They do have a buffer. If you're five levels above, you won't level up your jobs anymore. Wait, what? Yeah. If yeah. you are five levels, if, if you are five levels more than the enemy you are fighting is pointless because you will not get job points for that. It's true. That's you, why I haven't been leveling my jobs up. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I looked that up. I'm like, I can't. This, something's got to be wrong here. Yeah, there was something on game FAQs that said that. Yeah, they have to be the same level as you. Or above. Or five levels is the, is the Well, buffer. now I know why I'm suffering. But it's faster but... if they're higher than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, oh. Eric. But the good news you, you is... Can you can almost watch it. You can almost see his heart breaking. You can see like, the, if you pause the right freeze here. frame where his heart broke. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I was leveling up to a stupid degree. Then I realized I'm not... I want to unlock these jobs because you do kind of stagnate if you don't have the jobs unlocked. Yeah, so, I'm trying to like spread jobs around and get them leveled up and stuff. And I'm like, why is this progress so slow? Oh, my God. Once you oh. do that, though, within the levels you're supposed to, it levels up pretty fast. So I know just oh. uh, you have the right idea. Just make sure you go to higher level enemies. It's it's I, the enemy's fault. Why aren't they stronger? There you go. That's the way to look at it. <laughs> this yeah, is how I, I turn into the RPG villain. <laughs> I like Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, I'm still not that invested the story honestly but i do like the i like the world like the characters i fought a, you um, will uh, get more invested you, as you go along for you've sure seen i fought a mech evil. that was like 10 stories tall that was kind of yeah. cool yeah that whole cutscene so awesome that whole cutscene rips so hard where the with the waterfall and the giant Pharaonis and all that it's so good it's and the, then you get to meet evil bobby hill <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh, evil sake. bobby hill he was funny god yeah, dang the, it bobby the dot <laughs> The dialogue's amusing, but it's also really babyish uh, in a lot of ways. In just the way that it's conveyed, it feels very young. Mm. It gets a say. lot like it gets much, much better as you go along. It is actually quite handles things quite maturely. Um, mm. Again, by level by chapter five, there's some just goes over some really interesting themes and stuff. But mm. the the bad guys, Mobius, yeah, they talk like that, but there's a reason they're they're just theatrical. And- even then, some of the stuff you're about to see in, in like the start of chapter four as Tyon kind of like reels from what has happened and what he has just gone through in that last chapter is honestly some of my favorite writing so far in the game. Like there are some really it's, good parts it's really over the top. I but it's in the very JRPG kind of style, which is fine. And it's very good. And you're going to meet one of my favorite heroes, Juniper uh and one of the best colonies in the game it's there's a lot of good stuff ahead of you so oh juniper i didn't know this earlier uh they're non-binary apparently yes they are yep oh um juniper rules their whole colony is about like all the colonies are about death in some way but i like how they all have kind of different outlooks on what it means to die and move on and and like rituals for that and stuff i think juniper is it's probably one of the coolest I like I, I, got, like I also got to say that uh, by the time I got to chapter five, I said this game is throwing the most massive bone to Xenoblade Chronicles X fans. There you go. There's mm-hmm. your bone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I'm seeing it now, just all the themes that that Monolith Soft ever wanted to write about with mechs and Evangelion and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It just coalesces mm-hmm. in this game the longer you go on. It's like, yep. yeah, this is your Xenoblade. This is your Xenogears sequel right here in a way. Well, that's what we've been playing this week um i also picked up a copy of arcade paradise you may never oh, see we got me that again. too yeah i'm actually looking forward to playing that and culture of the lamb is really good too so a I lot of just good yeah lots to play it's more simulation oriented than combat oriented 
mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as roguelites go, and it's kind of got that Invader Zim uh, kind of look to it. So it's fun. Very well animated, and I'm playing that on Switch. But now it's time for a series of random encounters. The PlayStation 5 is actually getting more expensive in multiple regions due to inflation, global economic troubles. Um, The Europe, the UK, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Canada, sorry, Nadia, are all getting (laughs) price increases. It's a 30 pound increase in the UK, a 50 euro increase in Europe. That would be 480 pounds and 550 euros or 390 pounds or 450 euros uh xbox by the way confirmed it won't increase the price of xbox series x and s because it wants people to play on game pass instead that's why so then Pretty much. they're doing that uh disgaea 7 was announced you'll be able to make your characters huge uh speaking only- of inflation <laughs> <laughs> well done Eric. uh mike who is the biggest disgaea stan it's very exciting and everything it feels like a Good news for the uh, the year strategy RPGs, uh, Eric. Yeah, I'm not the hugest Disgaea fan, but I respect uh, everybody who goes deep down that rabbit hole. And Disgaea 6 had kind of a mixed reception from what I understand. It was not everybody's favorite. Uh, so hopefully with 7, they, they kind of rally a bit. Uh, Dark Souls 3's servers are back online. Phil Spencer wants fewer platform exclusives and more crossplay, saying positive progress for the Activision Blizzard deal. New, uh, there's a new Destiny 2 Lightfall expansion. I saw you tweeting, Eric, that you're back in on Destiny 2. How are you going to balance that with Final Fantasy 14? It's just all grinding. Well, that's the beauty of being caught up on 14 now, is I can get into that cycle where uh, 14 is not going to have anything after I finish 6.2 for a while. So then I get into Destiny and then the new patch comes. And really, I just sign my life over to service games and it's going to be so much easier. I won't even have to think anymore. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) You live, you die, you live again. Um, Pentiment. Pentiment. I'm sorry. Pentiment. It's out November 15th. That's the new Obsidian game. It's Josh Sawyer's uh, pet project. Monster Hunter Rise has topped 11 million units sold. There's a new interview with Nagoshi. He quit Sega because he didn't want to be a CEO and says his next game will be like a Tarantino film. Shock. And finally, <laughs> the KOTOR remake has confirmed to be in development by one of Saber Interactive's Eastern European studios. But our top story is a Gamescom happened over the past week there wasn't a lot but there was enough that we can talk about it and the unexpected winner of gamescom this year is lies of p yeah yeah bloodborne with pinocchio oh yeah oh Oh, no they made blood they made pinocchio hot (laughs) yeah so this one i I wrote up about it about a year ago because I just saw the trailer and thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen somebody trying to do. Basically, it seemed like they were cashing in on the lack of Bloodborne on PC and all that. But also, for some reason, it stars Pinocchio. And it's about like, what if Pinocchio and Geppetto feuded or something like that? Uh, and so what I saw was coming back for Gamescom. I was like, oh, haha, that'll be funny. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, that 
looks really good. Like that is actually really impressive what they're doing. So shout outs to Lies of P. Whatever you're doing, you know, keep doing it. It's bizarre. It's weird. And I respect the hell out of it. What what company's doing it? I might have missed you when you said that. Uh, I don't even I it was so one that I did not recognize when I looked it up and I'm Googling it right now. Uh it is being made by Round Eight Studio. Neo is Neo is and Round Eight Studio are what's coming up when I search for it. Uh, Round Eight not, sounds familiar. Not familiar with either one of them, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, so that's all kind of weird. But well, if they break out with this, good for them because that is like, yeah. as you say, a, a concept like that, it could go like, oh, haha, you think you're very funny and clever, but like if you're actually going to run with it, like this is a a dark puppet. And I mean, let's face it, Pinocchio, uh, Disney Pinocchio, that's the one almost all of us grew up with. That can be messed up at times. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not like it's a, there's a lack of, uh, of, of material to kind of harvest from. Do you think anyone gets turned into, was it donkeys? It was Pinocchio? a donkey. Yeah. I hope yeah. so. Man. That, that'd be sick. What if you fight like a giant bloodborne donkey monster? Now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we're Rights thinking itself, like. itself, a... it turns around and like <laughs> hoof kicks you. Like we're, we've got it. Lies and then me. And then it gets sold to the salt mines. uh yeah no there's a lot of cool i think the standout for me um at least for the gamescom opening night live uh was uh moonbreaker which is a new thing from unknown worlds the subnautica developer and it is like a turn-based tabletop kind of game where you have minifigures and they're they're kind of fighting with each other someone compared it to like was it hero clips or hero clicks or whatever the the ones where you have the figures in real life that you move around but mm-hmm. the the real sicko mode started when i looked at the uh i was watching the trailer and they showed that you can paint your own mini figures oh. and it has like a pretty robust looking painting system in there and that that sounds great. I want to do that. That sounds so nice. You get to like paint your own little minifigures, but you don't have to like actually go get paint and you can like undo mistakes and, and you don't have to spend a bunch of money on it. You just buy the video game and play it. It's great. It's the best of all worlds. I love it. So I'm really into that. I was kind of looking into a weird song. Uh, it's this brand mm. new open world RPG mm-hmm from Bethesda and Obsidian Veterans, um, which is led by uh, a former design director named Jeff Gardner. Uh, A dark historical fantasy RPG set in a fictionalized version of Portugal in the Middle Ages. And it'll have a, of course, fully customizable protagonist with combat and questing. And it will be designed to make players question reality and plays with concepts like unreliable narrators, choice and consequences, plus supernatural uh, and Templar-like conspiracies. Shout out to our pal Rebecca Valentine, who interviewed Jeff and wrote the story over on IGN. Um, Gardner worked on Skyrim, Fallout 3, 4, and 76, and he's joined by design director Charles Staples of Obsidian. Uh, it's being made in Unreal Engine 5. Reb interviewed uh, Jeff, and he said that it's basically... Uh, Bethesda and Obsidian, two great RPG traditions in the West coming together yeah, uh, to make this one RPG. Please look forward to it in roughly 2030. <laughs> <laughs> if we're lucky. That sounds about right. Um, I also, this is not part of like Gamescom, Gamescom proper, but this was kind of part of the lead up to Gamescom. 
I did get to see a hands-off presentation and Q&A about Pentiment, which is the Obsidian uh, game. And even though it's like very loosely a role-playing game, I think if you like the stuff that Obsidian does, you will be very into this. It's uh, basically you're in 16th century Upper Bavaria and you are like a journeyman scribe who's hanging out in the local town and a bunch of murders happen and you have to investigate them. I I think like Disco Elysium comparisons are not unfair here, uh, but it has like a real dedication to like the history and the, the art history of it. Uh, we were in a Q&A with Josh Sawyer and the art director Hannah Kennedy, and they talked a lot about how they went really in depth, talked to a lot of scholars and really wanted to capture like the look and the feel down to the fact that when characters talk, their their lettering will change depending on their education level. So like you'll have kind of just normal scribbling if they're like an everyday person. But if it's someone from the church or something, they might get this like ornate lettering that gets outlined and then filled in with ink. But if it's somebody that's working with the up and coming printing company or something like that, you'll see the letters actually get stamped in and pulled out and then they'll like appear. Uh, It's, it looks really, really cool. And just the entire vibe of like, do you want to play a 16th century murder mystery? If that appeals to you at all, like this looks like something to keep an eye on and it's obsidian. Like it's a passion project, obviously and very much something that they, they emphasized in the interview. They said, uh, you know, something like this, we might've had to take it to a publisher. We might've had to look to crowdfund or something like that, but with Microsoft and wanting to put things on game pass, uh, it made it an easy fit. And this definitely feels like uh, an easy Game Pass game, like something you would absolutely want to download on the weekend and play through on Game Pass. So it's it's one to look out for. I like that Game Pass has given developers like Josh Sawyer kind of room to do these experimental passion projects that mm-hmm. frankly would never mm-hmm, have happened sure. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things coming out on Game Pass in the near and far future that are these kind of like discrete, almost like you know a lot of story based games, but things that might have been hard to pitch and say, like, we have to make this game and make X number of dollars back and all that sort of thing. But with Game Pass, the rules are a bit looser and passion projects seem kind of the the name of the game when it comes to that. And I hope this is the sign of like letting studios under the Xbox umbrella like Obsidian get to do these sorts of projects and and just kind of collaborate and get these things out there. And I mean, we it's coming out in November. Like it's it's not far away. And I kind of like that idea of like, here's a reveal in the summer and uh, a game in November on Game Pass. It's it's really cool and a lot better than the sorts of like really long uh, hype cycles we've had for some of these big AAA yeah. games. Yeah, I am all about preview in the summer or the spring, come out in the fall. I'm good with that. I mean, look at Season of Chronicles 3. It was here, it was announced, and now it's here earlier than it was supposed to be. It's one of my games of the year already, so uh, Bob's your uncle. Speaking as somebody who works for IGN during the day, we get a lot of pitches for these. So-and-so veteran developer has spun up a new... (laughs) independent studio <laughs> yeah they worked on a major franchise and or studio you want to interview them and i'm like sure i guess and it's always the same narrative it's like yeah we, we're making games for xbox or whatever for x years <laughs> and uh and now we got a bunch of money and we started a new studio and we're going to make 
a triple I game. And I'll be like, that's great. See you in a decade. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're just spinning up. We don't have an office yet. We have three employees. We need to hire some people. We're just trying to build hype. So people will want to come work for us is what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. Sure. I, I will say like the, one of those that has surprised me with how quick they got out with something and something that looks really good is striking distance and the Callisto protocol, which was at gamescom. But like, God, we we set that interview up back at US Gamer, what, in like 2019, end of 2019, something like that. Yep. Um, I talked to Glenn back then, and uh, three years later, they've got their big Dead Space game, and it's coming out in December, and it's one of the few holiday games that so far, knock on wood, hasn't delayed into <laughs> 2023. Yeah. Uh, but it's looking really good. And so I'm, I'm impressed that they turned the game around in three years under pandemic conditions as a new studio. That's, that's darn impressive. No matter you know how good or bad the game ends up being. Yeah. It, it's still a, a big struggle out there, but people are doing their best to kind of try new, find new footing in this strange new world. And I guess I just got to kind of go at it one day at a time, like the rest of us. Wasn't that impressed by, uh, Callisto protocols latest trailer though. Enemies are boring. Oh, They're boring. I, I like it. I think, look, the it's whole fine. time during that trailer, I just, every time 2008 called and wants its like, game back. Throw him in the shredder. Throw him in the shredder. <laughs> like, I'm, maybe it's just me. I'm just, I, that, that makes oh, no, my head I'm go I'm in burn. the minority here. There are people <laughs> who are very excited about this game. It will do well. I'm yeah, neutral. Yeah. You don't want to throw the bad guys in the shredder. Like you don't just see them like pick somebody up and the shredders over there and you're like, go do it. Yeah. <laughs> throw them in the shredder with the monster seed. I don't know why the, the way you were saying shredder made me. I was just monster thinking seed. <laughs> oh, we have monster a, a game seed. based on Fargo now, I suppose. That's oh, that was yeah, a wood he's chipper back in the chipper. Oh, OK. There is a difference between a shredder and a wood chipper. Keeping with our Minnesota State Fair theme right here. <laughs> Do they throw oh, people good. in wood chippers in Minnesota State uh, Fair? I was of Fargo, which is also a movie okay. set in oh, Minnesota. Extremely so. Yes, yes, the classic Minnesota State Fair tradition of the wood chipper. <laughs> it would Time. bring an audience. I'm... In honor of Fargo. <laughs> Just start beating the drums. Oh, it's time for the wood chipper. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice? Honey, make sure to get some uh, some of the unlimited cookies, uh, a bucket of the cookies and unlimited milk. Come or on shoes. over. They've got the wood chipper now. I've seen the legendary uh, buckets of cookies. I don't think I've ever had one. They got to go over to the wood chipper, don't you know? That's it's an annual tradition here at the Minnesota State Fair. <laughs> we have some weird energy tonight, y'all. <laughs> it's Thursday. This is Thursday blood god energy. Thursday yeah. blood god energy. Yeah, that's my fault. It's, it's that realization that Friday is still like right there. And you're just like. Mm -hmm. I don't even know yet. Um, mm -hmm. Continuing on with Gamescom, which has been going on all week. Um, Funcom, <laughs> this was kind of a surprise. Funcom is making an open world survival MMO in Dune. Mm -hmm. It's Dune. Dune Awakening. It's for yeah. PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. I have no expectations for this one because Funcom's no. games are often very bad. Way, way back in the day, I, I don't know what I did. I previewed or reviewed um, Secret World. And mm -hmm. I think that was fun mm -hmm. calm. And that seemed like it was pretty good. I wasn't into MMORPGs at the time, so I didn't really play it. But what I did play was, it seemed to be a lot of fun. Unfortunately, it shut down. I don't know if I lost, maybe it's still running. It's definitely not like subscription based, even though they, they launched hoping to have a subscription base. But 
Uh, I know wasn't wasn't Funcom the one responsible for the Conan with the big dong or yes. something? There is something <laughs> yes. to do with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so okay, s- they can make dongs. They're they're on their way. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation <laughs> where I I am always baffled that like Dune, which is trying to be be this big you know major movie motion picture, in a time where you know movies and games have never been tighter and have never had better you know, interlinkings were past the age of like bad movie tie-ins. And now we have things like Marvel Spider-Man, which is a very good video game that is timing up well with the Marvel hype train and all that. And Dune ends up becoming just another one of these survival games, like, like sitting down and, and looking at Dune and, and being the best thing we can make out of this is rust. And that mm. just feels like a waste of even Dune Spice Wars, which I heard kind of mixed things about. I, I'm still like, you know, Dune has a history in video games. If you didn't know this, the Dune game Battle for Arrakis is largely considered one of the formative real time strategy games. And Dune, the point and click adventure is also very, very good. They both came out pretty close to each other and were both very good video games. Dune has a strong video game legacy. And so it feels weird to have like Dune at the movies with Tim- Timothy Chalamet and they're just doing rust, which that is not even it's in all vogue knows how to make. Yeah. I am like, if you're going to try and cash in on the latest trend, make a Dune extraction shooter or something like that. You yeah, know? I, I, it I wouldn't. I don't know anything about Dune really. Dune is such a weird and esoteric game that it's hard to make a mainstream thing. Yeah out of it so that's how you end up with strategy games and rust i like that mango alt says dune game makers are too cowardly to let you control the worm they won't even let me date the worm <laughs> buddy <laughs> you can date the sandworm <laughs> <laughs> it's thursday all right folks <laughs> and finally uh we got a new uh harry potter hogwarts uh legacy trailer showed a kid being tortured <laughs> Um, oh boy, I didn't even well, watch this yet. I gotta an, see this an after An option we're done here. to do torture or have torture done upon you, which, you know, we yeah. love choice-based gaming. <laughs> Is this a, a kink thing? Uh, I, I know Harry Potter fans have grown up, but uh, you don't no, want to cater to everything. I, I'm so I'm so out of it on that game. I just want Witchbrook to come around and, and I'll get Where did that go? Where did Witchbrook uh, go? Witchbrook is taking its time and can do what it needs to do and deliver when it needs to deliver. I'm not rushing that at all. They can show up when they want to show up. But uh, yeah, I, I don't even know that my desire to even play a magical school RPG outside of the realms of Harry Potter is that large. And then once you add on yeah. all the baggage of Harry Potter, it's like, ugh. It's a so. game that should come out 10 years ago. But I, can I just say... That putting aside all the baggage and everything, no franchise needs a freaking reboot more than Harry Potter. And I don't mean like storytelling necessarily, that kind of thing, just in terms of the visual style. Because I feel like the movies, which were not that good, like they were 50% good, uh, you know, and kind of 50% bad. And maybe one was like very good. They kind of set this visual look that I do not care for. It's kind of gray, isn't it? Kind of dull yeah. and washed out. It, whereas yeah, it was so era. fake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, no. I just don't have any buy-in. It's a theme park ride of a world. Like Alfonso Caron was his movie. Uh, he established 
a great look in Prisoner of Azkaban. And all the movies that tried to follow it did not do well. It just doesn't look good. I don't like the laser beams shooting out of the wands. Uh, yeah, it's... I want... I desperately want somebody to bring a different visual look. Even the props are bad. The robes are yeah. bad. The castles are bad. It's why, kind of why do they all look, look like back... they're wandering around a theme park? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to look back at the first movie and see like baby Daniel Radcliffe though. That's like the that's just that was adorable. Associate, I know he's great. I love Daniel Radcliffe. I didn't care for the the first movie. Really annoyed me because I had a specific idea of what it looked like. The world looked like in my head. And then I watched that movie and I was like, this this is not what I was imagining at all. I think this- it's every book reader's kind of trial to go through that instance where, oh my God, this doesn't match up with my head at all. To me, it happened with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. As brilliant as that movie is and Gene Wilder and the rest of it, I watched it and I said, this is nothing like I imagined. This looks terrible, actually. And of course, I was wrong. I was a stupid kid. It's a great movie. Imagine, though, watching that and you see the tunnel scene. They're like, this isn't in the book. What is going on? Mom. When Harry Potter came out, the first one, I remember it came out right on top of Fellowship of the Rings. That's so right. So they were obviously directly compared with one another. And at the time, I was like, just no contest. Fellowship of the Ring is looks so, it, it makes Harry Potter look ridiculous. Yeah. And it's only more so the case now. One movie has held up really well, and another movie has not. I never even finished Deathly Hollows. I watched the first part and watched the second part. The the only good content I've seen come out of Harry Potter in the last year has been a new trend on TikTok where someone pretended to be Harry getting ported back from the Triwizard Tournament after all that stuff happens in Goblet of Fire. And it's him like crying, but then he hits the gritty. Like it's like he just won the victory royale in Fortnite. <laughs> and <laughs> I I'm a big fan of TikTok things making fun of the ridiculous story of Harry Potter. And that's about it. Harry Potter. Harry I, Potter. I do I always like the the Potter puppet pals stuff. Oh yeah. baba 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 baba. And oh, I enjoyed dear. the comics that made Dumbledore. Uh, kind of revealed Dumbledore to be kind of a psycho in his yeah. handling I mean, he of is, a, so. yeah, yeah. The one thing the movies never got right was they never figured out the casting for Dumbledore. They really uh, didn't know well, that. They They've always a, struggled with that. They they had an obvious problem halfway through the movies. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I was would, actually that would be and the then they really wanted casting. They wanted to get Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> Sorry, McCallum's like, I already played Gandalf, a much better wizard. Sorry. Oh, burn. Ow. There's a, uh, I was looking at like 10 years ago is when apparently Half-Blood Prince came out. And apparently there's a, a a meme or something going around where people will like go on the PA in the store and say, attention, children, uh, Dumbledore gets killed by Voldemort. And just like oh, driving yeah. by and spoiling that stuff for people who are lining up. And it's like, yeah, that was, that was internet 2006, I guess. Yeah. I was really upset about that. In 2006, uh, I was like, "How how could you do that? How dare that's how you?" How they got their jollies, unfortunately. If only, yeah. if only 2006 cat knew where it would go from there. <laughs> if only, I, I don't want to break her tiny heart though. She's such an Aww. innocent. All right, it's time now to talk about the main topic, which we're a little bit of a loss for a topic. So I sat around and I thought about some things and thought about the current console landscape and I thought about the Xbox and I thought about 
how Sony is raising the price of the PS5 and I thought about Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and then I thought about how wow Nintendo has some really good RPG franchises these days mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. Fire Emblem, Xenoblade Chronicles, Pokemon, Earthbound if they ever brought that back for some reason. And meanwhile, over here, over at Xbox, they have all of the PC RPG studios now, uh, including Obsidian and In Exile and everybody, uh, freaking Bethesda, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the big ones. They're making mm-hmm. a new a new Fable game. They're clearly all in on RPGs. And why not? Why wouldn't you be in all in on RPGs? It's yeah. the best genre. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. In a, well, and... In a dark sense, the reason that everybody's all in on RPGs is because um, video games these days are defined by engagement. I hate that term, but that's what it is. And RPGs give you the most engagement because they have you grinding. They've they've corrupted grinding, the, the, the grind, and turned that mm-hmm. into a thing to make sure that you're always playing forever. That's why RPG uh, mechanics are in all these games. But putting that aside, still the best genre. And Xbox and Nintendo have a lot of first-party RPGs. Sony, Sony does not. And so the question I I put to all of you, does Sony need more first-party RPGs? What are they doing? Sony, uh, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen, and I'm going to be devastated when it happens, but they're going to buy Square Enix at some point, and it's just going to be horrible, and I don't want them to do that. But you are... Sony does not know its own strength. It's a weird-ass company because it really wants to be taken as seriously as a movie studio, and that's the way its games play to me. I have no problem with God of War. I have no problem with uh, Drake. I have no problem with all of that, Last of Us. But when I play them, I feel like I'm being like kind of put on a treadmill and saying, hey, look at this cool part. Hey, look at this dramatic part. Look at how you can see the pores on someone's face. And it's like... I'm not here to look at pores on characters' faces, thank you very much. Like, maybe I'm old, maybe it's because I grew up with Atari sprites, but I don't need little tiny hairs on a face to make me impressed. Give me Xenoblade Chronicles 3 stupid-ass character designs any day of the week over, like, hair. And, I don't know, I have a PS5, and good job, Sony, raising the price on on those of us who already pay out the ass for your dumb console. That's really great, I appreciate that. And the only thing I use it for is Final Fantasy XIV so far. Um, I've played very few in the way of exclusive. Like, I played Ratchet and Clank. It was cute. It was good. But again, there's the example of Sony really going for that presentation above everything else. That doesn't really make for bad games. It just makes for games that don't have a lot of heart. I I know that's a cheesy way to put it, but I don't know. Like, Nintendo, I'm playing my Switch so much these days when I'm not playing XIV. So that's where I am, really. That's just where I am. Do you want to know what the uh, hot take, you want to know what the best PS5 game so far is from Sony? What's that? It's definitely Returnal. <laughs> oh, I haven't yeah. seen, okay, yeah. you're fair That game there. is incredible. You want to I talk about heart? It's the closest thing they've got to an RPG. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I'm not saying all their games are sterile. I'm just saying the ones that they really want to show off. Like, remember in yeah. E3, Last of Us 2, and they shuffled you to all those weird, like, showcases when they tried to preview the game? Just show me the game. Why are you shuffling me to backdrops? We were laughing our ass off when that happened, by the way. We were like, poor cat. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> don't you remember? Cat? In E3, I don't remember which E3 it was. It was probably the last one we did before everything went tits up. But it was the... Um, oh, the 2019? The, the preview of, of Last of Us 
of two and they were they put you in one room remember that cat oh, and then they right. made you all move to the other room it's like show me the yeah, game yeah they had the church with the banjo and all that yeah <laughs> yeah the church with the banjo that was 2018 hired you yet eric were you there too no i'm trying no, to remember so. that so that wasn't that wasn't 2019 that must have been that 2018 yeah, yeah yeah i remember yeah. um i remember we were all standing around drinking and then they mm-hmm. ushered us into that church and we were packed shoulder to shoulder. And I felt like I was about to faint. It was mm. yeah, it so looked really hot, hot in there. I needed awful. to sit down in the absolute worst way. And we were standing up there and I was just like, please don't make this the entire presentation. Please don't make this the entire presentation. And then they walked us through. It was the most grandiose thing. They walked us through exactly um, a, kind of a Japanese temple set up. And it was it was pretty. You know, and we sat down, we saw somebody uh, do a traditional Japanese flute concert. Yeah, that's right. It was a real thing. And it's like, compare that to, yeah, it was, it was like, okay, who needs that? That to me, that's Sony in a nutshell right now. This is our beautiful, whatever it is. And meanwhile, it's like, here's Nintendo saying, oh, here's a fun Animal Crossing setup that everyone loves. It was the only cheerful part of PAX 2019, because we knew by then that the the virus was going to get us all. But hey, Animal Crossing. Yeah, I I've said this before that I think that Sony can sometimes be a little too precious with its games for sure uh, in in the way that, you know, they're not putting any of their newly launching PlayStation games on on their subscription services that they are yeah, upping yeah. the charge on, which is just bizarre to me compared to are what they already game upping the doing. charge on that thing. Uh, on, I mean, on their tiered thing or whatever, okay, like they, yeah. they've done stuff like, hey, here's Stray. Uh, you get stray for free if you're a PlayStation Plus extra or premium subscriber, but they're not doing that with something like Last of Us Part One, right? Which is right. bizarre to me. Uh, but on top of that, w- when you first posed this question, Cat, of of does Sony need more first party RPGs? I stopped and I thought because there are some good first party RPGs in the history. Of Sony, you've got you like Wild Arms, you've got. Uh, You've got Legend of Dragoon, whatever yeah, you want to say about it. It has there. existed. You have nostalgia there. Sony right now arguably has one of the biggest RPGs coming out in the next two to three years locked down as a console exclusive, which is Final Fantasy 16. Uh, one of the best, one of the biggest. Yeah. Of the next few years. Yeah, it's a it's final. It's not going to break 10 million, dude. And, and on top of that, you've got the next Final Fantasy 7 remake coming to it as well. And you've got Final Fantasy 14 is still not on Xbox. It's only on PC and PlayStation. Uh, you've got. Sure. I, like, I'd be curious to see what the breakdown between PC and PlayStation actually is with Final Fantasy 14. Yeah, I'm actually curious about that myself I, because I, I feel imagine like it skews PC. I would not be surprised yeah, if it skews yeah. PC. But uh, I think as more casual players get into the game, they're going to go with the PlayStation version, like console traps like myself. And that's I the can, weird part I can about promise you that Xbox is not losing sleep over not having Final Fantasy 16. Xbox doesn't lose, no, doesn't lose no. sleep over much. They're humongous. No. Well, because Xbox has, like, they have the studio. They own the studio that is going to make another one of the biggest RPGs in the next two to exactly. three years. Right? They're going to have Starfield. So, and they're going to sell Starfield on a PlayStation, most likely. Well, I mean, have they said that? Have they said that they're going to sell it on a PlayStation? I feel like there's a comment about that at some point. But I, I feel like at this point, that. Xbox is going to have their exclusives released first, of course, for the Xbox and PC. And after that, it's like, hey, Sony, you want you want Starfield? And maybe they'll say yes. I don't know. But oh, no, it's, it's not happening. Never mind. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's not coming to PlayStation. Uh, so, I mean, Xbox is swinging big with that one. Uh, it's I, I, I look at it and I'm like, what would Sony do if it did go first party? Because I don't know any of their studios that I would give a first party RPG to in the first place. Like I wouldn't put Sony Santa Monica on that. I'd want them making God of War stuff and I wouldn't put sucker punch on that or insomniac on that they don't really have a studio that feels like it's going to be able to do something and the, the only one i would have, have thought to of an rpg is horizon zero dawn yeah and even then that's an rpg in like the loosest sense so yeah it's not even it's closer to assassin's creed than it is to yeah it's more of an adventure game like classic as- assassin's creed not not valhalla or whatever where they were adding a lot so yeah i i there's a lot of talk about well what if sony bought square enix i mean they just bought bungie they spent a lot of money on bungie actually um so i I don't think they're necessarily going to be taking that big of a swing um again anytime soon yeah (laughs) wouldn't it be funny if xbox just went out and bought square enix they have been rumored Uh. to be in the market for uh an rpg then they have all the market for japanese developer for a long time They'd have everything then that because they, they own the Western RPG market right now. Like there's very mm. little question about that. And it's like, please don't own everything, Microsoft. Please stop conglomerates. Someone I can't remember who just mentioned like the the Bungie takeover. I forgot that they even bought like it, there's been so many buyouts and and mergers. I just don't know what's going on anymore. It's it just mm. makes my head spin. It's I. The thing with Square is that even Square is already playing for a lot of different teams at this point because, mm-hmm. yeah, like 16 and 7 Remake are going to, to Sony, but Crisis Core is a multi-platform. Uh, you've got Tactics Ogre and Live Alive and stuff like that, tri- uh, Triangle Strategy going on the Switch. Uh, like Square right. Enix is not playing exclusive to Sony in any way uh, outside of some of its games. And I... I don't know, but I also don't know that Sony necessarily needs a first party RPG studio. I don't know that that's something that they really seek to get, but I also feel like I'm going into the Sony generation, not even knowing what Sony is outside of the company that makes prestige games, right? Like right. They make, exactly. They make the big shiny things that you see the ads for during football games and yeah. stuff like that. And, the and, Super Bowl commercial games. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm really excited for Marvel Spider-Man too. I like uh, their take on Spider-Man a lot, but they are kind of the studio or the, the company that does really big, fancy prestige things, but doesn't have a lot in the middle. And mm-hmm. as much as, as much, uh, you know, guff as we give Xbox about all this stuff about, oh, where are the Xbox games at? Like Pentiment's <laughs> coming out in November and Game Pass is bringing a bunch of stuff onto it. And I don't necessarily see that same sort of like lower tier support in, in the Sony realm right. uh, outside of a few times where they decide to spotlight some indies that are coming to the platform, like Inscription and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Sony's in a weird place. That's just, the more I've thought about this. I can't figure out what weird, Sony's yeah. actually trying to do, aside yeah. from run it all back from how things went in the PS4 generation. Things things change pretty fast, I think. Uh, I think that their online plan is one of the least essential online plans that I include really Nintendo is. Switch yeah. Online. Yeah. 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 I mean, Nintendo Switch Online sucks, but at least it's... Actually, it doesn't suck. It's just mildly bad, but at least it's... it's 
priced to be kind of shit. I mean, every so often I remember it's like, oh, yeah, hey, I got this expansion for free. That's cool. And yeah, exactly. Which isn't bad. I'm a retro game person, so I like getting the retro games. I don't. I don't think it's good. It's a, I don't think it's a great service by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I got the. I got a sampler of the PlayStation, the the new PlayStation Plus, and it just went completely out of my head almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I I think the thing with Sony is, it's focused on prestige games. Um. They release like two of them at the beginning of every year and everybody plays mm-hmm. them for like five minutes and then everybody moves on with their lives and that's about it. Or you have yeah. Horizon for oh, the Horizon games, which is completely overshadowed oh, Horizon. by yeah. Oh, Horizon. They try. Uh, they try hard. Um, yeah. I, I just never really was attracted to the Horizon games, even though they looked like they'd be my thing. They just seemed too shiny to, especially like next to Elden Ring at the time. I was like, okay, Elden Ring has that kind of grit that's just so classic Dark Souls because it's so compelling and so horrifying and yet so much fun. There's a certain beauty to it, so distinct. And Horizon Zero Dawn was like, we're all wrapped in plastic wrap and we have hairs on our face. And that's really impressive for some reason. If you look at, so Nintendo has Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a game that is kind of an evergreen game that consistently has a community around yeah. it. You look at Xbox, in theory, when they put out Starfield, that has at least a chance to be the evergreen game. Maybe the Elder Scrolls Six at some point. Um, the game that will just have a persistent community who are constantly creating content for it and are talk about it all the time and are kind of obsessed with it. Sony is kind of lacking that evergreen game. I, they bought Destiny, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, maybe that counts, but... Also, Destiny is on every is on both Xbox and PlayStation, so it's not necessarily benefiting the PS5. I think it's on the Google, uh, the 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 platform they had Stadia? there. Stadia, Stadia, yeah, that's right. Yay! Stadia is hilarious because every every time there's a big game announcement, I invariably get an email saying, "Uh, hello, can you please add Stadia to our article, every, your article about this? Because it's technically it's technically <laughs> coming out on Stadia too." Like, oh, God bless that PR person who has to do that. Yeah, you, know, you earn. Hey, your, they make your a lot keep. more money than I do, so yeah. I don't have. That's any. fair. They, they, they get fair. the Google. I don't bucks, feel bad so. for them yeah. at all. Yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, I, I mean, RPGs in general are in a weird place. You had a tweet today, Cat, that I'm gonna bring up. That I'm gonna bring mm-hmm. up for takes, and you said that at this point, if you could just have your Switch and not have a PlayStation or an Xbox, you'd be mm-hmm. happy. Is that about good NPC. summation? Of- yeah, MPC. That's I was I read that, and at first I, I I will admit I scoffed a little bit. I was like, "Oh, come on!" And then I thought about it, and I was like, "Wait a minute! When was the last time I used my PlayStation to play anything? Every yeah. time I've used my PlayStation in the last six months, it's been to use a streaming app of some kind. You know, I played HBO, a lot of Elden Ring YouTube. on that thing. I played, uh, I I played Elden it. Ring on PC. That's that's yeah. where I went uh. for it. And I I sat there and I was like, I think like pc and switch is largely what i am at this point too and maybe that's a reflection of where the rpgs are going uh, and where that stuff is found but it's also a reflection of that like i i think the platform exclusive rpg is slowly going away uh mm-hmm. especially if you own a pc you're going to get all just about all of them and maybe some of them come you know a year later like final fantasy 7 remake but then you get to play a 7 remake 
a year later, but with a bunch of mods that make it look ridiculous and stuff, which is great. So I, I don't know. It's, it's again, PlayStation and RPGs. I just don't, it's almost a mixture of do they want them or will getting them actually do anything for them? Like would getting a big name RPG make anybody go out and buy a PlayStation five at this point? Uh, if they okay hypothetically if they had witcher 4 or bioware mm-hmm. as an exclusive yes <laughs> yeah if they somehow wrangled that yeah if they if they had the an exclusive on the new mass effect or dragon i i, I do think that exclusives still make a big difference in this day Kodor. and age codor is a good example because yeah. right now i think codor is still a timed console exclusive for playstation but I, is I, that enough uh <laughs> it has to be good first. Good talk. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. because and we just found out that Aspire completely screwed the pooch with that game and now it's with some hmm. one of Saber Interactive's satellite studios or something. So God knows when we'll see that game. Yeah. I I think with I, I think you are right. Uh I was thinking about like Phil Spencer saying that, you know, the future probably is cloud uh, the majority of people will probably play on some cloud device like xbox is releasing an app on samsung tvs that's the future right there ladies and gentlemen a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't even like using controllers and they'll just be playing on on their tv or their phone or iphone ipads large contingent of kids are just playing everything on ipads these days and then there will be the hobbyists who are playing on pc probably or dedicated handheld devices maybe mm. and maybe the console the, the the console as we know it will just become more and more marginalized um as time goes forward so i i guess we'll see in that world no it probably doesn't really matter if sony gets a a uh, an rpg but yeah. also in that world sony is kind of getting squeezed out isn't it oh it's got destiny and so that's the one thing that i think when I first heard Sony is buying Bungie, I was kind of like, that's strange. But the more I think about it, if we are moving towards a very live action future, having what is probably one of the more popular live action or live service games around uh, in destiny, you know, at least as part of the Sony family is, is a decent move. If only to take that chip away from Microsoft. But <laughs> uh, it is it is a pretty decent thing for them to have. And, you know, Destiny's vaguely RPG ish. It's like Diablo, you know, it's close enough. Yeah, yeah, good enough. Good enough. It's adjacent. I, it just the lack of RPGs drives home to me how one dimensional Sony's first party library often is. It's a do you like open world games, open world action games? Mm-hmm. Well, we got a lot of open world action games for you. They're all kind of the same. Uh, I mean, God of War is cool, I guess. Yo, shout outs to Astro's Playroom. The hey, that's a good fun one. game. God-like that was a good one. PS5 game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's rare to sell me on haptics. I'm not, like, I, I think it's really impressive. The have... Clank game was pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Insomniac is all right here. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's, it, it's remarkable it's right. that EA like ruined Insomniac. <laughs> EA ruined a studio. When has that ever Never. happened? <laughs> Gee, where just, are we going, Papa? EA is so bad that even Insomniac made a bad game with them. 
happens to the best of us. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, it's a weird time. Any further thoughts on Sony and RPGs? I, I would like them to have. I would like them to take some of that prestige energy and yeah. maybe make a an, a first party RPG. Of I'd some really sort. like them to just kind of. They have a great database of retro. Like Nintendo really dives into his retro, whereas Sony yeah. seems to be kind of scared of his retro. For a while, it looked like they were kind of touching on it, but then they shied away from it, saying, no, we're all about what we are now, as they say, the prestige games. But I want to see resurrections of, say, Wild Arms and even Legend of Dragoon. Who knows? They can make something good out of that in this day and age. It's totally possible. So I, I would like to see them go back to their their retro roots and say, you know, hey, we actually have a, a pretty good catalog here of stuff that was good at the time. I mean, Wild Arms is a very unique sort of world, and I think it would be really great in this day and age. Could you imagine yeah. Sony unearthing Wild Arms of all things and turning into a prestige? It's- oh, a prestige Wild Arms? Oh, my God. No, here's, here's your monkey's paws. Wild Arms is back as a limited run hbo miniseries uh, uh that's what will happen is oh, same thing it. that's happening <laughs> with twisted metal where they go like it's back as a tv show <laughs> is that out yet the twisted metal show no no that it's sounds in horrible production right now but sony has been slowly announcing a lot of different adaptations that's productions arm has been working on and that really seems like they're where they're putting a lot of effort right now but i heard the drake movie was really not that good the Uncharted movie? Uncharted movie, oh, yeah. yeah sorry. No, that was bad. The Last of Us show is going to be good, though. Yeah, that looks really it's good. It's a lot of money behind yeah. that show. Yeah. Okay, last question. It, looking at Sony's existing franchises, what, what, what one would you want to turn into a full-blown RPG? I would go for God of War because I really? like the world. I like the characters, but I just did not like the gameplay. I didn't think it was really all that exciting. So if you make it more of like sad dad and boy, and they're like on a, an <laughs> RPG sized quest, I could deal with that. I might be all right. It's already almost there, right? Yeah, you, they're almost there. Just break those shackles, so to speak. I, yeah. yeah. Either like an RPG that's like a side story in the Horizon universe, but like completely separate from all the stuff that's happening with Aloy and all that. I could be kind of into that. Or, um, God, I don't know, Death Stranding. Let's get a Death Stranding RPG going. That's technically Kojima. It's going to be on PC Game Pass before you know it. Yeah, but they they got the the IP. They could probably still wheel something with that. Hear me out. Sly Cooper RPG. That would be cool. I'd play that. Sly Cooper I'd... heist RPG would be pretty sick. I Persona agree. 5 with Sly Cooper. <laughs> Ruka's saying a Ghost of Tsushima RPG. I'm actually into that. That's a good idea. That could be pretty fun, actually. I yeah. I didn't care for it as an Assassin's Creed clone, but if they leaned more into the Valhalla aspect of it without the, the filler, it could be all right. Yeah, that could work. You have the foxes as your friends. God, I'm so lukewarm on so many of these Sony franchises. Horizon. Yeah. That's kind of my problem. They're they're there to me. They are there. They're fine. Spider-Man. Or, or the thing. Spider-Man like, RPG like, I, I would love a Marvel Spider-Man RPG. Spider-Man RPG would be all right. Yeah. Yeah, I, need, I play that. You need to be into the Spider-Verse where your different party members are all the different Spider-Verse mm, characters. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. So your party is like, Penny Parker and Peter Porker and Miles Morales, you know, and that's like your three person party. There you go. Perfect. That's cool. 
I'd, I'd play it. Uh, I, I mean, I think you could do a pretty solid RPG, uh, hero-based RPG, kind of like, you know, The Witcher or something, where you're just playing a standard Peter Parker, but you're running into a lot of the spider variants, and then maybe you can switch between them. It's like Yakuza. <laughs> just Miles Morales or Peter Parker running around in the street, <laughs> and the little thugs get all mad, and they run over, and it goes into the Like a Dragon fight. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So what I think we've learned... Is that Sony probably needs maybe a little more diversity in its actual mm. first person uh, lineup, but they're still doing fine for themselves. They still got The Last of Us and God of War. God of War Ragnarok is going to be the biggest thing going this fall. So uh, yeah, don't wait for them too much until Starfield comes out, in which case you'll never see me again. All right. Uh, we've been doing the summer of Gundam all uh, summer. It's been a lot of fun. The segment is now over. It's been great. We had a nice little watch party. We watched Char's Counterattack, which was um, somehow a lot worse than I remembered. (laughs) I mean, it does have Char saying, Lala could have been my mommy, which uh, was a line, I gotta say. It had the old lady going, Sig (laughs) Zeon. Sig Zeon. I don't remember him asking Lala to be his mommy. Um, Maybe I blocked that out. He was just saying that you you killed Lala Amaro. She could have been like a mother to me. And mm-hmm. we were just like, mm-hmm. she was 17. This is getting even worse. Oh, we're seeing the quiet part loud now. <laughs> oh, right. There's a lot of young young women in that now that I recall. And Char was kind of with those women that were very young. And it was a, it was, yeah. Was they said explicitly, well. oh, LOL. Char likes the young girls. You're just like, <laughs> oh my God, where are we going with this? But it had some sick animation and some sick yes. space battles. Yes, it did. It did. It had its moments for sure. It was fun to just kind of sit there and make remarks. Um, as for me, I'm going to wrap up the Summer of Gundam by finally building my uh, my Wing Gundam uh, version Katoki that I've been working on uh, for for ages and ages. I, I have it right here. Let's see if I can pull it out without like knocking everything over. Oh, here we go. It's pretty dope. Oh, oh, that is pretty yeah. dope, actually. Yeah. yeah. I uh, don't know how it would go for me if I tried to build a Gundam because I'm the kind of person who, like, my parents gave me, like, a, say, a Lego set uh, when I was a kid, and I'd throw away the instructions and just, like, start mashing pieces together and hoping for the best. So I don't think you could do that with a Gundam kit, unless I'm wrong. Uh, uh, I no, mean... you can't. You have to kind of <laughs> okay. um, take them out of the little tree. Clip them out. Clip yeah. them out, yeah, and you have to be. That sounds There's like a, lot a whole of... bunch of fiddly work there's a lot of very fiddly parts and it gets more and more intense as you go from high grade to master grade to perfect grade but that sounds exactly like the kind of thing i'm bad at you you could do like a basic one though there are a lot of like very straightforward ones that you could absolutely put together and and look really cool like you could totally get a sick gun cannon yeah gun cannon's pretty cool who doesn't love the gun cannon kai is the most underrated uh pilot in the gun universe i agree (laughs) um nadia eric you went on this gundam journey with me what have you learned what are your thoughts i learned that i i like the xenoblade uh designs for mont for for next better than gundam and yeah it was it it certainly had its moments i just am not very excited about space i'm sorry Mm. i I liked Gundam best when it was like had its feet on the ground, so to speak. And you had the politics and I know um, the origin wasn't always your favorites, but 
I just like seeing, like, say, Garma interact with his father and stuff like that and the dynamics of him having a child that late in life and how Garma turned out because of it. I love that kind of thing. And it's like the Gundams, okay, they're cool, but they're all very, very secondary to me. I don't look at them and think, oh, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing robot. With exceptions, like Gundam Wings, over-the-top, stupid anime, woo-wing stuff. Like, that's fun. That's cool. That's completely useless, but I love it. So that's where I am. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I... I expanded my horizontals as laguna would say in final fantasy 8 but yeah that's where i stand nadia yeah. anti-space as we are reminded space. of once again even though it's pretty much the only place where capitalism hasn't touched i keep remembering that Earth. you are a fantasy <laughs> you are not a space no you know what when i will be a space person you get me in on get me information about Europa. I want to hear all about Europa and what's there, what's under the ice. I don't care about Mars. I don't care about the moon. They're dead. They're dusty. Hooray for everyone. Give me like some life in our galaxy. I'll be a lot more expected. A well, lot more. Nadia, have you played Mass Effect? Yeah. Okay. And you weren't, you weren't down on space after Mass Effect. Like you weren't. No, no. You... Oh, Mass Effect is, Mass Effect was good. Like that's, it's that's something else. but here's the thing like there's so about many me, hot aliens out there in space <laughs> waiting to be found <laughs> i mean thinking about it like one of my favorite games of all time star control 2 and what's more space than stars it's all about mm-hmm. how the aliens are how they're presented and and stuff like that i don't find machines as interesting as biology there and when you're out in space with stuff like that with sci-fi you're looking more at the machines than the biology a lot of the time uh, i mean hell i love Final Fantasy Fer- uh, Fermi Paradox, which is all that you know, Endwalker is about. So mm-hmm. I-, I love certain elements of space. I love the the horror aspect of it, of the void, of this this place that despises us. We have no pl- we have no right to be anywhere near space, and yet there we are. So to me, it speaks of human ingenuity and foolishness. It has its appeal, but Gundam didn't really trot all that appeal out for me. So that's basically what I'm saying. I what I've learned once again is that Gundam I have big time dad energy and that I like World War II. Mm, okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. and Gundam is World War II in space. Yeah. What could yeah. I say? Yeah. Um so I enjoy I enjoy watching it for that reason. And I enjoy the expanse and I like um how crunchy the setting can be. And even Gundam mm. the Origin a show which frustrated me in a lot of ways and really came down to, as I said, 22 short stories in the Gundam verse. Mm-hmm. It still did a really good job of kind of filling out the actual setting in a way that I found compelling, enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I enjoyed watching all the spaceships flying around while a narrator intoned about how uh, millions of people died in space, seeing the colony drop and all that. Um, I do have to say that, uh, Gundam did kind of open my eyes to how much anime and games owe to Gundam. Yes. Like yeah. the, the colony yeah. drop was like Mega Man X5. I'm like, okay, so that's where they got the colony drop. Yep. I mean, Armageddon was very popular at the time, but yes. I said, uh, Mega Man X5, we're just going to do Shards Counterattack now. Okay. That's what they did. That's what it was. I'm like, oh, okay. I know this story. It doesn't end well. What I also learned is that I loved 0079, mm-hmm. like more than yeah. ever. Eighth MS team, great, great standalone oh, story. Yeah. 0080, oh, yeah. great standalone story. Uh, pretty much, practically everything after 0079 was a mistake, and boy, did it get really anime and really cheesy, and it lost a lot of the heart that I felt drove 
0079. It, it never captured the family aspect. It played too much to the effing dorks who only mm. cared about the military <laughs> aspects of uh, it. Yeah. The, the Robert Highland Starship Trooper nerds who only cared about the mili- military logistics and obsessed over the West End RPG books. Yeah, Gundam went too far in that direction, ultimately. Whereas 0079 was about found family, ultimately. And I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed all of the characters and watching them grow and everything. And you're kind of with them the entire way. And uh, later Gundams kind of lose that unfortunately mm. um, we're gonna mm. watch gundam unicorn i'm gonna watch it with amy uh pretty soon well i'll let you know how, what i think about it in a, a bonus summer of gundam thing but by and large like yeah it was gundam 0080 8th ms team 0079 then you're kind of good unless mm-hmm. you want to watch like gundam wing or something eric do you have any final thoughts no, I, th- I think it's pretty summed up. I really I think 8th MS team was probably my favorite thing that I watched uh, during the summer. Uh, pretty close there with 0079. Uh, I I really like when Gundam gets into the the weird like, you know, strategies. I, one of my favorite parts of 0079 is when they're doing that entry into the earth and they're, you know, there's the constant time ticking down as they're fighting uh, and descending at the same time. And that was very ace combat to me. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually, this entire summer made me want to go play ace combat and armored core. And I actually did boot up armored core three the other day and was just having a blast with how nice. chunky and beefy those mechs are. Uh, fun fact from software has been making fantastic games before the souls games ever came out. They're called armor core and you should play them. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the big mechs and, uh, just how they evolve over time and, and how they get used in battles. I think eighth MS team did that really, really well. I will always think of that fight in the city near the end of the series as one of the best gundam Mm. fights ever because it's just so sick it's so cool and and it's so heavy and weighty i love that so yeah gundam's cool gundam rules it's also all over the place so you really do need someone like cat to uh sherpa you towards what is good and what is worth paying attention to (laughs) just watch 0079 kids yeah 0080 you're probably good uh shara's counter attack it really goes off the rails unfortunately Mm -hmm. uh but that's Gundam for you. If it were, if it wasn't going off the rails at some point, wouldn't it be Mobile Suit Gundam? That's a wrap for Summer of Gundam. You can look forward to Autumn of Avatar, which will be kicking off really, really soon. Maybe next week, Eric. Next is week, that, yeah. This that'll the plan? be the first. That'll be the first week of Autumn of Avatar. So okay. get to watching, folks. I better sit down and uh, start watching those episodes of Avatar. The last airbender. Okay. Nadia, bring us home. Uh, in school, grade school, did you guys have like metal shops and wood shops? Yes, nope. I did. Too dangerous. <laughs> really? Too dangerous? No, yeah, we had a metal shop and a, and a wood shop. It was great. And yeah, it was pretty dangerous because that's kind of what my story has to do with today. Um, we had a, a little kid. You know how when you have like a uh, a kid that age who's small and he's a boy and he has a lot to prove. His name was uh, I'll just call him A. Uh, a was always in trouble. A was always doing something. He was he was this extremely feisty little Russian kid. And one time he went into the metal shop 
and we had welding tanks and he turned them all up like all the way oh no and he lit the flame and it was like pew, like a dragon just a jet of dragon fire goes streaking across the metal shop and the shop teacher mr murai i remember him like distinctly because he was the most i don't give an f teacher who ever ever existed and he just collars this kid drags him and there's a door and, and we're not talking about the door out into the hallway we're talking about the exit the emergency exit out to the parking lot <laughs> throws him out into the parking lot it is raining shuts the door behind him and you can't come back in once that shop <laughs> but shop ruled um and there was I'll fit in another quick story here because there was an instance where uh, grade eight, I think it was, we all were allowed to pick a trip that we wanted to go on. It was called Electives Day. And my brother and I, for some reason, we just opted to stay in the school and, and F around in the shop all day. That was an option, the wood shop. Somehow, I did, I, I, I swear to God, I, I, I wish I had witnessed this, but somehow a drill got down someone's pants. And I, I guess someone was messing around. I just remember... I was making a boat. It was a really good boat. And I just hear screaming like, holy F, holy F. Oh my God. Oh my God. Holy F. <laughs> and the teacher, Mr. Muir, just like, um, is there a problem here? And I look over and yeah, this kid has a huge hole in his pants, like his pant legs. Someone, the way I hear it, has stuck a, a, a drill down his pants. And I just don't understand. I mean, I guess because all the troublemakers just see it at school that day instead of paying to go somewhere. But like, yeah, um, shop ruled i'm really sorry eric that you did not have that did they really say because it was too too dangerous like i mean that's how you we, learn traits i mean we just didn't have shop class we had like other electives that you could do uh um, and i know ffa was pretty popular and stuff like that but yeah ffa what's ffa oh future farmers of america oh i've heard about that like yeah, yeah is that something my, you can do in america like become yeah, a, my, a my sister was in it uh you basically like spend the year raising a goat and then go sell oh. at auction oh uh, oh that's kind of cool yeah goodbye so, goat yeah you really get to learn a lot in that and like my sister doesn't is not a farmer now but that was like a pretty typical thing but also like I was thinking back on all the electives that we had and we just mostly had sports and oh. like I was in the newspaper, but I didn't really care much about journalism at the time. Uh, I just was good at Photoshop and making dumb things in Photoshop. And so I was useful <laughs> in that way. Um, and yeah, no, no, no shop, no shop class. Oh, that's too bad. But I, I wonder if Canada has any FFA equivalent. Of course, I wouldn't have it here because I'm, I'm in the damn city, but. Uh, we we did make maple syrup. That sounds very Christian. Uh, Forage club is basically like FFA, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. We did have like. You're laughing. um, Am I wrong? Did I say something stupid? No, it's naughty as. That sounds very Christian. (laughs) I don't know. Welcome to the 4 H club. Hold on. (laughs) No children here at the 4 H club either. Am I so out of touch? I know evangelicals, (laughs) and that's evangelicals right there (laughs) we we did have a a shop class and i was in the shop class and i regret to inform you that while i enjoy building plastic gundam models i was otherwise extremely extremely horrible at everything related to shop class including building the stupid little cars that you would wind up the wheels and they would like zip along yeah i was 
I, I, I somehow passed that part doing the bottle rockets. Um, all of that's that like kind of neat and stuff. But yeah. for me, I was just like, please get me out of here. I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to cut my fingers off on this fucking table saw. Sorry yeah. for the language. <laughs> wow. Wow, Kat. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. <laughs> well, table saws resist. are frightening. Table saws are quite frightening. They were, I just had a flashback to the table saw. I was like, ah! So. Now, what what was better about, see, you had the table saw in Woodshop. Yeah, that thing meant business. Yeah. You go to the metal shop and that bandsaw is just huge. Yeah. Like, it's a real thick boy. And we actually, when we first started Metal Shop, we the, the teacher showed us melting down um, metal and how it kind of jiggle around. And we're like, oh, cool, because Terminator 2 was out at the time and everyone was just losing their mind over that one. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I made a boat. Someone had to drill down their pants and we nearly burned alive. And that was my shop experience. Where, I, you where, know do, what? You get, where do you get these stories? You've, you've lived you an know interesting life. I guess I have like when I think I was thinking about it and it's like when I went to school, um, I realized much, much, much later in life that it wasn't normal to go to school with a bunch of refugees. Like I, it was normal to me that I had a friend and he would tell me, oh, yeah, I was from Iran. And, you know, I watched my uncle to get shot in the street. And my mom just told me he was sleeping. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm from, you know, my grandparents to the Holocaust. We went through horrible things as well. And just, you know. I guess everyone just had all this weird stuff happen to them and we never really knew it was weird. It was just like, okay, yeah, so we all kind of have trauma, don't we? Yeah, I guess we do. Oh, yeah. So I mean, Pit, I... Pit is what I'm getting from all this. <laughs> yeah. Perpetual yeah, Pit. We're all Perpetual falling pit. down. We're falling. Here we go. Falling down, down, down. Nadia's nostalgia pit. Tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down. <laughs> And on that note, that's the end of another episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on the podcast of your choice. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nani is at Nani Oxford. And Eric is at Seamoosie, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And if you enjoy the show and want to support us, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our ad free feed as well as the discord but also we have tons of bonus content at the higher higher tiers including charlian dropouts pantheon of the blood god our various specials and everything else we're going to be heading on to the post show with the stars of destiny so we'll be headed over there in just a hot sec but otherwise for nadia eric and myself thanks so much for listening and happy adventuring oh.